0: Took a year to build the MVP, which to most people is probably alarming. I had. Is that
1: what they estimated, or is that longer than what they? estimated? No, they
0: estimated three months, four wow. months. And <laughs> It took. It took a year. A lot of that year wasn't on them. It's, it was on me. I knew building out this product that it 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 couldn't be just any old MVP. It really had to do what we wanted it to do. We're trying to introduce technology into an industry that doesn't deal with technology every day. So if we weren't able to deliver on the promises we were making, we would have been dead on arrival.
1: Welcome to Montreal Startups, a show where we cover local, innovative, fast-growing companies and the inspiring stories behind them. On today's show, we talk to Eamon O'Rourke, co-founder and CEO of Run, a platform that could deliver construction material to your job site in under two hours. Okay, let's be honest here. We work hard, our days are long, and we could all use a little extra break or two throughout. Taking these unplanned breaks in a workday can help us feel refreshed and lead to increased productivity at the office. While most employers are actually okay with their employees taking some moments away from their desk, in some industries it just doesn't work. Take construction contractors, for example. There comes a time on any given day that they need some extra materials for the job. Maybe they're running low on plywood or gyprock. So what do they do? Well, they send a couple of their employees to make a run to the nearest hardware store to pick up the missing materials. And what often ends up happening? Well, these employees take their time, pick up some food, stop for a coffee along the way. Again, it's understandable that everyone can use a mental break throughout their workday, but in the construction space, these material runs happen way too often and are way too costly for the contractor. Even O'Rourke started picking up on this little headache. His thinking was that if he could provide on-demand delivery of the required materials to the contractor's site, they could cut back on these costly store runs. Oh, and how about bringing some coffee for the entire staff while he's at it? So what motivates an entrepreneur like Eamon, who was born in Dublin and experienced some pretty extreme recessions at an early age? Well, it probably had something to do with the front row seat he had watching his parents do business.
0: I was born in Dublin in late 70s. So so grew up in Dublin in the 80s. Dublin was a pretty tough place in the 80s. We had a, we had a pretty hard recession. Um, not a lot of employment when I was a, when I was a kid. And one of, the, one of the strongest memories I have, when I try and trace back where my entrepreneurial roots come from, one of them actually comes from right in the middle of the 80s. So my parents, like I said, there was no work. And my parents set up what was their first of many businesses. They would take... Pallets, skids that, that goods are shipped on, and they would cut them down and chop them into kindling wood, and then they would sell them to all the stores in the area. I think I was five or six, and I would watch, I watched my parents do this for three or four months until my dad found another job, and it's been one of those memories that whenever anybody asks me how I became an entrepreneur, um, it's always one of the things that I, that I draw from, and and
1: that's like scrappy entrepreneurship. It's not
0: that was so it was, so my par- my parents have always been entrepreneurs. So I was able to watch this journey, that being the first thing. And then they had a couple of businesses in between. They had a a retail company with 13, 14 stores throughout Ireland. They had a a construction company. Like they were always striving for more. And then as a child, we moved, I would move into a better neighborhood. Each time my parents had a business that would do a little bit better. Um, So I was able to see that from from hard work, you you could really benefit. Move up the social classes for, for sure, every for time. For sure, and then that stuck with me my entire life in terms of work ethic. I worked from a really young age, and um, and that work ethic has always has always stuck with me. So, how long did you spend in in uh, in Dublin? My whole life. I left when I was uh, left when I was twenty one. Went to Australia for about a year and a half, and then came to Canada when I was twenty three.
1: Did you get? I guess you got your first job while you are in Dublin. Since you left when you were 21, before that you started working. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I worked for my uh, I worked for my parents right from right from the get go. So from 12 to 13, I worked for my parents. Worked in in um, in some of their retail stores, and then as I got older, I went to work construction with my dad. When I was uh, when I was a late teenager, I went to work for their direct competition, which was a, a your,
1: your dad's direct competition. Yeah,
0: my parents. How direct. did he feel about that? It didn't go down well over family dinner on Sunday. Um, my mother still jokes about it. She thinks she thinks it's a, it's a great memory. At the time, it was a touchy subject, but I was, I was a teenager. I thought I knew it all. What sparked that move? Um, Better pay? Nah, just, just to annoy my parents, I think, more wow. than anything. My, my parents had set me a challenge. I wanted to leave home at 16, 17. They said, if you can find a, a job, um, if you can find a job somewhere else that pays the same as this, the yada, yada, yada. Um, it was the mid-90s in, in Ireland. Again, this is before the Celtic Tiger kicked in, so there wasn't a lot of jobs. So as a 17-year-old kid, I went out and I got a job in two days. There's people standing on street corners looking for jobs. So all my parents could, could do was... Well, you,
1: you, How did you pull that off?
0: I called them up, told them who I was, told them I had more experience than anyone else that was older than me, and they, they hired me. I think they hired me a little bit because of who I was too. Um, I worked there for about a year, Um. And then and then left and I think I started my first company in about six months after that.
1: You started your first company six months yeah. after, while you were still still in Dublin. Yeah. So I, what did that company? Do? So
0: the the company my parents had was a retail company. It was a uh, it was a franchise retail store. And my after my parents got out of that business, I wrote a I wrote a letter to the people who had bought back all the franchises, and I offered the franchise one store. I was eighteen years old. Wrote my first business plan. I think in free, I wrote my first business plan, raised money, I raised about 15,000 pounds at the time from the bank, and opened my first retail store at 18.
1: That's a hell of an experience to get yeah. at, at that age. Yeah. What was that store selling? It was in the construction space? No,
0: no, no, not at all. It was completely outside the construction space. It was selling um, luggage, suitcases and backpacks. and So I did that for a year, realized that being a franchisee was quite limiting, so saved up some more money while I had that business and opened a second retail store. Opened a, a shoe store, so finished up that first contract. Closed,
1: but not a franchise, though. Not a franchise. Just your own shoe so store. Keeping, you learned I was, from. I that. was keeping
0: more of the meat. Yeah, was that, was that was my first real lesson. Was making sure that I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to have to pay up to anybody else. Right. It was a great. It was a great first lesson. I learned a lot in that first year. Um, I mean, I'd always been. I, I, I was a bit of a weird kid when I had um, when I was eleven or twelve. All the other kids in the street had Nintendo's and Sega Genesis. I had a, an IBM PS1, and I could have gone one of two ways. I could, have, I could have become a programmer. For some reason, spreadsheets attracted me. And I used to sit in my room and I'd make up these fictitious businesses and I'd build out cash flow forecasts at 12 and 13 years of age on a computer. Oh, wow. Super dorky. <laughs> yeah. It's worked out in the end, but su- it's super dorky.
1: Right, right. The, the other kids must have. Uh found that kind of strange.
0: Yeah, it was very odd. It was just it was just something that attracted me. I think again just because I'd seen in my whole life the idea of the idea of starting a business from nothing. I think the risk is a big is a big thrill to me. The excitement of will it work, won't it work? Um, and then building it from 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 nothing has always been as always and been And seeing that effort materialize. Yeah, and it's 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 for me it's pretty binary. I mean, the the more the more you put in, the more you get out. I mean, m- most, businesses, um, most businesses fail, not by lack of effort, but I think the thing about serial entrepreneurs is that they rejection is just part of the game. Like, I've never been, I've never been afraid to hear no. I've never been afraid to fail. That's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm able to kind of pick myself back up. I've had a couple of businesses that failed. You've got to be able to pick yourself back up and just keep on going. And move on, right,
1: yeah. yeah. So, you, got, you have a couple of businesses that you are a part of in, uh, in Dublin. What made you want to leave the, the country you're born in?
0: My dad got sick. My, 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 my dad was diagnosed with cancer Um, I was in my early 20s, didn't deal with it well at all and decided to leave for Australia to try and clear my head. Um, went to Australia and I think I ran out of money in six months. <laughs> Had to get a job. How did
1: you pick Australia
0: through a dart at the at the mat? Pretty much, I, I decided to go to Australia. I think I decided to go to Australia on a Tuesday, and on a Thursday or a Friday, I was on the plane. Wow, it was like done, done. Yeah, it was a t- it was a tough time for me emotionally. Um, my dad my dad ended up passing away. It was a, just it was, it was it was it was a tough a tough issue to deal with. Um, so I went to Australia, ran out of money after about six months, and then got hired as a foreman on a commercial construction site. In Australia, in, in, in Australia, I had never worked commercial construction at all. How was that experience? I was able to talk my way into the job, and I would see what had to be done for the week, and then I would go home and I would spend my evenings on Google and figure out what I had to do, and then I'd go in and be the loudest guy on site, <laughs> so people would think I knew exactly what I was talking about. Right, and it worked. I learned all that. I was I was there for a year. I was there for almost a year in that job, and um, I learned a hell of a lot. In that job, right? Um, I ended up leaving there, going back to Ireland, spending a couple of months in Ireland before my dad died, um, and then in, I guess, August 2003, I moved here. So my mother is from you moved to Montreal. Oh, your no, mother. No, I moved from... to, I moved to Ontario first. Okay. My parents had bought a house in the Thousand Islands a couple of years earlier, so we were we were spending some time in Canada, some time in Ireland. Okay. So in 2003, my mother decided that. After my dad died, she wanted to move back to Canada. Okay. So I, uh, I came back with her. But your dad was born in Dublin. Yeah.
1: Okay. Did, were you going back to Montreal during that time, like, or to Canada? Yeah,
0: we've we, we've got family here, so we would like every year we would come back. My parents came every year religiously. I would okay. come every couple of years.
1: Right. So it. you're quite familiar with the country and all. Yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So you, but you moved to uh, Ontario first. Yeah. Um, you, did you guys set up there and with plans to eventually come to Montreal, or that was the? No,
0: no, not at all. My initial plan was to go right back to Australia. Okay. And I come, when I, when I arrived over here, um, I renovated my mother's house in in Gananoque, um, renovated her house, then fell into a couple of construction projects, and then I guess eight, nine months after I arrived here, opened my first company here and started renovating houses in in Kingston. So I did that for about a year and a half and then I built my first house, first spec house. Now you have for, no
1: formal training in construction and this is just all things you picked up along the
0: way. Yeah, so started off working with my dad and then and then so I almost Almost twenty years in the industry, so a lot of it, a lot of it picked up along the way. Right. But yeah, when I first came to Canada, I had to learn how to build. Like like we don't build the same way in Ireland. Right. Didn't build the same way in, in, in Australia. Oh, oh. Like sti- I didn't know it was that different. Yeah. No, it's, it's completely different. So I that when I first came here it was it was it was almost net new. Like a lot of a lot of the a lot of the basic skills are still there, but just construction I a methods. Nail. <laughs> construction methods in Canada are a little different, just the way houses go together. But I've always been a pretty quick study. So yeah, so two thousand and six 2005-2006 I, I built my first house, and between 2006 and 2008 I think I built about 14 houses.
1: So just all these experiences that you're telling me, it sounds like you're a pretty scrappy guy. You need to figure out how to do something. It's a lot of fake it till you make it, and just figure it out along the
0: way. I've, I've, I've always had this impression that if I'm the hardest working guy in the room, I'll do well, um, and, that's, and that's never let me, left me. Um, I still try and set that same example at our company. Right. Like I make sure there's there's nothing at our company that I wouldn't do if I asked somebody else to do.
1: Right. I mean you could face adversity, you could be people could tell you no, but as your motto is as long as you outwork your competitor, or the next guy, then you will stand out.
0: Yeah, up until a point. Um when I was in my twenties and, and, and like I'm coming up to the end of my thirties now, I definitely I've definitely started to make the transition into work smarter, not harder. Um, that worked really well in my twenties. I'm started to become a lot more strategic about how I do things. It's one of the reasons why this the Renault run really, really took shape. Um, but yeah, I still think hard work accounts for for a hell of a lot. Mm-hmm.
1: So now you're in your your mid to late thirties. You're still in Kingston, I assume. Do you then come to Montreal and what brings you to Montreal?
0: So in, in, in 2007, 2008, the Kingston housing market got hit pretty hard um, and as one of the newest builders in the city. Business just dried up, completely dried up. So I, 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 finished, I finished my last house, closed up that business and I was ready for a change. And again, it was the flick of a coin. It was do I go to Toronto? Do I go to Montreal? Yeah, you're
1: right or, in the middle. Or there, so. Do I go?
0: Do I go out west? I was also looking at out west. Okay. And I started coming to Montreal a little bit on the weekends, um, and I guess I just I felt a bit of an emotional pull to Montreal because my mother's family is from here. Right. And yeah, in the spring, spring of 2008, summer of 2008, I moved here full time. And what
1: do you what do you decide to do here when you get to Montreal? I
0: still got in a, the construction space. Yeah, got a job as a, as a project manager. My my first week here. Um managed a, a huge project in, in Outrema, went right from there to a multi-million dollar project, open Côte d'Anais, managed that, managed a portion of that job, it was a, a $12 million renovation, managed a portion of that for two years, about a year and a half, two years, and then set up my own project management company.
1: It Just, just a quick note, I mean, it sounds like, you mentioned there was kind of a housing crisis, I mean, 2008, which was a major housing crisis, was Montreal any different than Kingston at that time?
0: Yeah, in 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 high-end construction in Montreal, there was definitely there was definitely some insulation there. Mm. When I showed up here, there was absolutely no shortage of work, and for for somebody with my experience, I was uh, my first two weeks here, I was fielding off offers. Okay, that's a, you made a good choice to come to Montreal. Yeah, then. yeah, yeah. It's been it's been great. I've never. Again, again, the area that I've operated in construction—it's never been an issue in, in, in Montreal. It's always been busy. So you start your own
1: project management company in Montreal. One of the first things, uh, well, after you start, couple of years, yeah. Um, what business number is that for you on your on the, on the list of businesses you have <laughs> started?
0: Um, I think it's business number four or five. Okay, I was probably fifty percent success out of that. Okay, so a couple had been mildly successful. A couple had been.
1: But 100% learning experiences out of
0: them. Every single time. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And all that experience is compounding right now into, in, for every subsequent move that you're making. Uh, how long did you do your, your project management business?
0: Um, from 2008 right till 2015. It was successful enough that when I closed it down um, to start the next thing, a lot of my friends thought I was completely insane. Okay. What led to that decision? I think everything has a shelf life. I, I need to be, as a, me personally, I always need to be excited. I need to be, I need to be, Monday morning, Mon, Mondays are my favorite day, have been for as long as I can remember. Monday morning, I wake up, punch the air, it's silly, like, I, I, I dig Mondays, and if, if I start to not like Mondays, there's, there's something going on, Um, when monotony kicks in, if I'm doing the same thing over and over again, it's, it's a little bit hard to get motivated, so we had an op- my wife and I had an opportunity to get down to California in 2015 to invest in a furniture company. So our three-year-old and our six-month-old and my wife and I and our dog drove from Montreal down to... You drove? We drove from Montreal down to California, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and how, many, how much time did that take uh, We took
0: about two weeks to get down there. Okay. We took a bit of a kind of family trip. Um, we got down to California and we were there for, we were there for about ten months. And we, uh, yeah, so we went down to, 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 first of all, just kind of check out this furniture company and really hit it off with the founder and his wife. We, we looked really closely at investing in the company. And but was, how did this furniture
1: company pop up on your radar at this point, all the way in California?
0: I, I knew of this guy. He was, a, he was a pretty famous furniture maker in California and I'd follow, followed his work for a long time. Um, and one evening out of the blue, I, I just sent him an email. Just send him an email just to start a conversation, just to just to kind of chat about business, chat about what he was doing. And we hit it off. Like immediately we hit it off. Um, and he invited me down. So I spent a sorry, yeah. I spent a week with him. And he, after I spent a week with him, he invited my family and I to come down for a couple of months, kind of hang out and see if we could make something happen between the two of us. And in terms did, of an acquisition? In, not, not an acquisition, just in terms, of, in, in, in terms of kind of blending our skills together. This guy's a phenomenal designer, phenomenal furniture builder. Um, there was components of his business that, that, that he wanted input from me on. And, and for the 10 months that we operated together, it was hugely successful. We ended up, we ended up winning best product, or one of the best products of the year from Interior Design Magazine wow. for a $25,000 walnut ping pong table. For a ping pong table? This guy is For $25,000? This guy's literally the best furniture maker in North America. Wow. So it was actually while I was in that town that I had the idea for Renault Run. So a couple of things that happened all at once. Um, for the first time ever, I'd heard about Instacart. So Instacart's business model is they, they uh, create a single-source platform for people to shop groceries from any vendor in the city. Um, I thought it was a phenomenal idea. They'd just been named as one of the fastest-growing companies in the U.S., and they had a market cap of two and a half billion dollars. Blew my mind. Um, at the same time, a tech company in the city that we were living in just went public. A tech company named MindBody. MindBody, of and, course, yeah. And and the city changed overnight. You saw that, you saw it firsthand. See, you, you saw it. There's, there's a lot of new millionaires in the city pretty much overnight. Wow. We had the luxury of, of putting some furniture into their head office. So I got to see the inner workings of a startup office for the first time. It was like, all of this happened within the space of a couple of weeks. So I was Introduced to the, to, to the startup world down in, down in California,
1: because that, that city was was outside of Silicon Valley, so yeah, so it's
0: halfway between halfway between L.A. and San Francisco, right? Um, but yeah, that's where MindBody's headquarters is, and getting a look inside there and how it operated was really eye opening for me. And then the last thing was a friend of mine that I met down there had started a tech company with absolutely no technology experience. He came from the service industry, similar path to me, but in the service industry. His parents had owned a couple of restaurants um, and he and some friends had gotten together and created a suite of software to help restaurateurs manage a restaurant. And I thought, well, I'm sitting here with all this construction knowledge, What what can I do?
1: How could yeah? How could you
0: bring tech into your yeah? Industry? There's got to be a way that I, that I can leverage, and I've always kind of, I've always been an early adopter with technology. When I ran my construction company, um, four or five years before it was adopted, I was using some of the project management software that was out the really early versions. Um, so yeah, it was it was one of those weird eureka moments. I was standing in the workshop in the 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 furniture workshop in California, and. Probably 60% of the business came to me like a lightning bolt. And what, what do you do when, when that happens to you? Because
1: any entrepreneur knows that once you get an idea in your head, it's, it's almost impossible to stop thinking about it. So, did you just go home that day and tell your wife?
0: No, I let it sit in my head for about a month. Okay. And I started to form out more and more parts of it. Um, and when I finally told my wife, I, was, I said, listen, this is, I have this idea. It might be great. Or it might be the most ridiculous thing that I've ever said. Um, <laughs> That's how most ideas. And I kind of I, I I I vomited all the words out really really quickly. She kind of she started to decipher what I was saying. I was I was very excited when I finally let it out. Um, she thought it was brilliant. I mean, she she had she was a partner in the construction management company with me, so she understood that industry as well. And she 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 thought it was she thought it was brilliant. Um, so we kicked around the idea for a couple of months. I mean we were really enjoying california where we were living was fantastic the people we were living with was amazing the opportunity we had down there was 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 again when we moved back people thought we were crazy mm. so we had to come back at the end of 2015 just to, to renew our visas for visa purposes and yeah. drove up the west coast then drove from the west coast all the way back across to montreal and and pretty we we built out the balance of the business on that drive and still unsure what to do about it but It was a lot of fun, kind of building out the ideas. Well,
1: a long drive like that gives you a lot
0: of time to reflect
1: and brainstorm. Yeah, we had we
0: had a lot of it mapped out. So we got back to uh, we got back to Montreal the end of 2015. In the end of January 2016, we started to do some just really light market research. So we would we would we would we would drive to um, Home Depots and. Rona's, and all the building supply stores in Montreal, we would sit there with a coffee and we would count foot traffic of contractors going in and out to the store. So we defined a contractor as somebody having a pair of work boots on and leaving a pickup truck or a van. Well, just just before
1: you get too much into that, g- yeah. give us the gist of what the idea is at this point and and what I mean, what Reno Run is today. Sure. Just so so the,
0: the the initial concept was I mean definitely based on, on on the information we had from Instacart, but during a construction project. Um, especially high-end residential projects and, and remodeling projects, contractors will run out of material almost on a daily basis. And there's no same delivery in construction, like none whatsoever. So everybody is used to prime next-day delivery or same-day delivery, or groceries delivered in two hours, or an Uber at the, at the click of a finger. Right. Um, and the solution that most builders had they would they would send an employee to the store. So... Usually it's a skilled employee, so he knows what to pick. So that average store run is costing a contractor two two hundred and twenty-five dollars every time they send somebody out to the store. Average project will send someone out to the store three times a week. Wow! It's fifteen thousand man hours a year per project. It's, a, it's enormous, yeah. absolutely enormous. And then you've got construction companies that will run five or six projects at a time. So they're losing. It's a huge cost. It's. And, but so the thing is, is that nobody had ever thought to, to exploit it. Mm. Um, it accounts for tw- about 27% of a builder's purchases are just-in-time purchases. Um, and it's just one of those things where if it's not broken, don't fix it. So nobody thought it was an issue until somebody decided to exploit that niche. Um, so that's essentially what, what our platform does. We, we, give the, we give builders and contractors the ability to order all of their construction materials from from one of our four ways to order. So through our app, through our e-commerce portal, they can order through SMS or over the phone. And we're, we'll get, no, no building supplier in a city can supply absolutely everything. We do, because we have relationships with multiple vendors. Okay. Yeah.
1: Hey guys, just a quick word from one of our sponsors, Breather, that helps make this podcast possible. Breather's mission is to empower companies with private workspace that helps them meet their full potential. Growing rapidly, Breather has a network of over 400 workspaces across 10 global markets available on demand for hours, days, or months at a time with no membership or subscription fee. To learn more, visit Breather.com. So it's twenty fifteen, you're with your wife sitting outside a Home Depot, literally counting guys on boots.
0: Twenty twenty yeah, twenty early twenty sixteen.
1: Early twenty sixteen, counting guys on boots, walking in and out. This is your light market research. This is our light market research. <laughs> okay. And so, what are you finding at this at this stage?
0: We're finding that this is a hell of a problem. Yeah. It's it's it surprised even me with, with almost twenty years in the industry, it surprised me to see just how many people were going in and out. And and I knew a lot of these companies, I would see. The names on the side of the vans, we would see them going in multiple times a day. Um, so, second week of February, 2016, uh, all the stores in Montreal had an average of 50 contractors going in an hour. Yeah, absolutely insane. Right. We went out and we incorporated the company the next week. We brought on another founder at the time, so there was three founders. And then we started to plan out what the app would look like. So you know right away this is going to be,
1: and given your, the time you spent in California, being around or close to Silicon Valley, seeing all these tech startups, you know this is going to be a, a tech platform solution that you're going to build. I,
0: I, I knew that technology could be leveraged to make this substantially right. more efficient than, than anything that was around at the, at the time.
1: So as a, a non-technical person, where do you start?
0: I treated it like a construction project. So I, I mapped out the wireframes. So I did a lot of research on wireframing apps my two founders and I, we, 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 we mapped out the wireframe for the app ourselves.
1: We, Your two founders, by the way, are non-technical as well? Yeah,
0: okay. non- non-technical. Um, we, uh, so we created the wireframes ourselves. I wrote a scope for the project the same way I would for a construction project. So everything was, was extremely detailed and then we shopped it around to, to app building companies. We went, to kinda, we went to some developers here in Montreal, we looked at some developers in, uh, in India and we ended up settling on a company here in Montreal to build it. The MVP, it took a year to build the MVP, which to most people is probably alarming. Um, I is, had, is that what they estimated, or is that
1: longer than what they no, estimated? They
0: estimated three months, four wow. months. And it, <laughs> took, it took a year. A lot of that year wasn't on them, it's, it was on me. Um, I knew building out this product that it, it, it couldn't be just any old MVP. It really had to do what we wanted it to do. We're trying to introduce technology into an industry that doesn't deal with technology every day. So, if we weren't able to deliver on the promises we were making, we would have been dead on arrival. Um, yeah, there's no element of usually when you build an MVP,
1: if if, you, if there's a core there that you'll you'll have. People that love what you 're doing and they 'll stay on board and and they 'll work with you through the pain points of the platform there's none of that in this
0: or at least in your head no there's absolutely none and our, our MVP had 15,000 products on it I mean we essentially we, we built out a, a, a mobile e-commerce platform with no mobile e-commerce platform with no technology experience whatsoever so our MVP officially went live in March 2017 and it was focused around one store in Montreal and about a 10 15-square-kilometer area, we generated, enough, we generated more revenue in the first month than it cost us to build a platform. Wow. Yeah. So we were like, oh, I guess this works. <laughs> yeah. You're onto something. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't a big surprise. We, we knew the product market fit was, was going to come, and I think we were all a little bit surprised at how quickly it came. Our, our go-to market for the business was very simple. We give, we give free coffee with every delivery. Um, it sounds a little kitschy for a technology company, but you'd be, you'd be surprised at how much our users love it. But that was one of our first go-to markets. We had, I was in one branded van, one of my other co-founders was in another branded van, and we would drive to every building site in Montreal and offer free coffee and say, hey, this is what we do.
1: Okay, so the free coffee at this stage is not on orders place. It's just your way
0: of. It was both, but it was it was such a good foot in the door. It was March two thousand seventeen. There was still snow on the ground. Right. And we're walking up to every building site in the city, saying, "Hey, do you want free coffee?" Right. Not one person refused this. So it's, hey, do you want
1: free coffee? Download our app, by the way, and you could get this, this material at the same time. Yeah. And I mean, these are busy people when they're on a construction project. They, they had time to, to listen to your pitch at the same time?
0: Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. People were really digging. Like, right from the get-go, people dug what we, we were doing. Um, people on the job sites aren't necessarily the decision makers. We, we've learned a lot about our users over the past two years. Um. But yeah, people are very people are very receptive. I mean, time time's a hell of a thing in construction, um, especially in the Northeast where construction season is nine months, not twelve. People are always very conscious of time, and that's that's essentially one of the things that we started selling. We were selling time and selling trust.
1: So, how does the model work then? So, if 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 I'm a project manager on a construction site and I want to use Reno Run to get some equipment. What's, what's the cost structure like? And, and there's a big logistical side on your end too, right? So how
0: do you fulfill all these orders in such a short basis? So we've got, we've got multiple vendors that we work with in each of our city locations. When a user places an order through one of our four ways to order um, comes into our back end, our back end decides what store it goes to, what driver it's going to go to, all based on a, on, on a logic and algorithm that we've built internally.
1: The, the like the deliveries as well. You mentioned, or I saw on your site that you guys have uh, experienced delivery drivers too. They have to know what equipment to pick up or what materials to pick up from these these vendors. Are they are they Home Depots or are they small mom and pop shops?
0: They're both right right across right across the board.
1: Do they they just walk in on their own to the store, or do you have special relationships set with
0: those? We've got special relationships with all of our vendors. Okay. So some of some of our vendors we have uh, we have pickers in store. Um, some of the stores that, that we don't have the same high frequency of orders, our drivers will go in and, and gather the material themselves. But we've, we decided very early on not to choose the gig economy method. Because of the materials that we deliver are actually part of substantial construction projects, it's imperative that our guys are really well trained. Right. They know what they're picking, they know, they know how to pick it, they know um, even how to stack it when they get to a job site. There's a lot of important components to it. And then we do... Our our builders will see our drivers over and over again. Some of our some of our high use users are ordering two three hundred times in a year, so it's it's a relationship. Having this kind of man with a van concept, it just didn't work for the business that we're operating. Right, you
1: mean the gig economy, the the Uber style of just kind of leaving it open to freelancers yeah, that yeah. want to pick the, up. the
0: brand was very important. to was because it's 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 trust. We're not we're not selling groceries. Right, like our, our our average order value is in the thousands of dollars. We we like it's a. And and you're going to cost the
1: contractor more time if your if your freelance guy shows up with the wrong equipment and and the wrong uh, the wrong materials and then he has to go back and place. And it and,
0: and we'd spoken to a lot of contractors about that. There was no there was no trust for that. Right. Like we had we did some more market research other than the foot traffic. We yeah. spoke to, we spoke to hundreds of contractors, but the feedback was always the same. Look, like we we don't want some random guy in a pickup truck delivering our stuff. We want to know that it's been picked properly. Right.
1: So I just want to go back to launch day for a second, or launch month. Uh, you you launched this platform that you spent a year developing uh, with this firm. Um, you have a great reception to the platform. Lots, as you mentioned, lots of sales. W- as founders, what are you thinking next? As you've bootstrapped this company to this point, I assume did yep. you raise money? Uh, did you raise any outside money at that point? No,
0: no, we put in. Uh, it was still all our, all of our own money.
1: So, you see a lot of success with this. You guys are saying, okay, I think we're on to something here. How do you know what to do next to take it to the next level and to really get this on a path to scale and become one of those next tech companies that you saw your friends starting?
0: We just kept driving the business the way the way that I knew how. So, we just, from it's a cliche to say do things that don't scale, but it, it's, it's such a true statement with a company at that size, especially. We're not a SaaS company. We're, we're kind of we're, we're bits and bytes. There's there's a huge technology component, but there's a huge people and logistics component. And we're as a B two B company, and um, the business to business relationship is really important. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of pitching to larger construction companies. So I would do three, four, five uh, construction company pitches every week. Presentation showing, hey, this is what we offer, this is how much money we can save you. And we were onboarding companies that way. So we were really just driving, driving the business. Um at the same time, I was out three or four nights a week hitting up every startup event I could find in Montreal. Um I learned very early on just how receptive the the startup community was in Montreal. And I was constantly getting help, constantly getting advice, constantly getting intros into 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 people. So it was, uh, yeah. We just—I mean—during the day we would drive the business, and during the night we would speak to the people that we would need to speak to to figure out how to get us to the next stage. Um, it was through one of those meetings that we actually met our fourth co-founder, who's our CTO. Um, so James initially came on as a—he as as came on as a consultant for a month or two months. James's legacy eBay—he was with eBay and PayPal for almost twenty years. A lot um, of great tech experience. It was phenomenal. Right. Absolutely, Flaman. That's that that was a huge piece of luck to pick him up on the way. Um but we got introduced by a mutual friend again just just from just from networking in the in the startup scene. Um, had a coffee, hit it off immediately. Um, and we set we set towards building a brand new product almost as soon as James came on board. Um Oh, so you it, wanted to relaunch the whole platform? We were based around one store. It was it was as MVP as you could get, right? Because like,
1: you kind of you got to kind of scale both sides of this too. Not just you know the onboarding, but you have to have the vendor relations too, and make that easier to onboard them. And 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 doing this, building this platform with an agency like that, it could get very costly if that's your your CTO backend or your tech team. You got to pay for
0: it was really tough every hour yeah. they put into yeah. it. Yeah, they did a great job. The MVP was it was one of those things where at the time people were saying, "Oh, you'll be embarrassed about your first MVP," and I was like, nah, I love this thing." It's Awesome. When I look back at it now, yeah, for for sure, I'm a little embarrassed. embarrassed. Yeah, Yeah. um, but it but it worked, right? It got us proof of concept immediately, so we set off to build this kind of V2, this this uh, this next version, um, and we used we used outsourced engineering that we had some access to, in uh, in Sri Lanka, and in in October 2017, we raised our first outside funding. We launched Toronto, and we launched a new version of our app all within about a week and a half. So you, you raised more fu- funding for the first time yeah.
1: before launching V two.
0: Yeah, it was all it, was, it all came at the same time. It was that was. That's v- a
1: hectic period for you. Yeah, yeah.
0: So so the V two and the Toronto launch were kind of justifications for for raising that raising that extra money. It was kind of part of the pitch when we went to those outside investors. So it was a, it was a friends and family round of a of million dollars. Friends and family, that's a big friends and family round. Yeah. What What is that? I always ask people what it's like
1: raising money from friends and family because there's two schools of thoughts on this. There's the, the, the group of people that will tell you never do it just because you don't want to mix you know business with your friends and family. But then there's the other school of thought that says, yeah, you should do it because it's an extra chip on your shoulder here. There's a little bit of a... You want to give a return to these people.
0: Exactly. I think they're, they're, I think it's important not not to get emotional with money. But when you have your friends and your family investing in you, it's very hard not to be emotional about that money. Mm-hmm. So you're definitely. It's, I shouldn't say that. I'm, it's not that I'm any less emotional about my invest, the other investors' money. But you 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 don't want to lose money for your friends and family. And um, they've believed in you. They've really they've they've really kind of put their money where their mouths are. So yeah, there's a, there's an extra little bit of pressure when you get an investment like that. So in V1 of the
1: platform, you're onboarding customers by literally hitting the ground and, and going to meetings, giving presentations about your, your platform, the service you offer. Now in V2, I imagine it's a more robust platform, more vendors on board, more materials that you offer in the platform. How are you onboarding contractors in that point? Is it is there still a lot of feet on the ground to onboard people or is there a little bit of a... Uh, an inbound marketing strategy it's,
0: it's a combination it's still the the, the the grassroots have never left us we just thought we just launched austin um, our first us market and we've got a much more sophisticated go-to-market strategy the vans are still when they're when they're not busy or driving around giving free coffee okay. free tacos or free lemonade austin's, austin's a little different mm-hmm. um but they're still they're still kind of doing that that grassroots and it's 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 huge I mean, we've got these huge orange fans that are very hard to miss, mm. and that's definitely a substantial part of our branding. As we opened Toronto, we started to engage a little bit more in some, uh, in, in some marketing. Up until then, we hadn't spent a penny in marketing because we didn't, we didn't have it. So we did a, we went to the first trade show in December in Toronto, 2017, um, and that was instrumental in, in really kickstarting off the, the Toronto market. We started to grow. We've been growing at a pretty steady clip since since launch in Montreal, 15 um, fifteen fifteen to twenty percent month over month. When we opened when we opened Toronto, it increased substantially. The growth we saw, the growth we saw year over year, 2018 to 2017, was just en- enormous. Right. Absolutely enormous.
1: Now I imagine that helped pave the way for what came next, which is a pretty. Substantial. You guys called it a seed round that was just announced
0: in February. Uh, what was that process like? Process was interesting. So we, when we'd first launched in Toronto, I had I'd reached out to a couple of investors in in Montreal just to kind of say, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. A time will come very soon when we're going to raise money. I just want to put myself on your radar. Um, one of, the, one of the folks that I, that I had that conversation with was Alan McIntosh from, from Real Ventures. And Alan was great, gave me a ton of advice. About six, seven months after that conversation, I got an email from Sam HaFar, who's one of, uh, one of Alan's partners at Real Ventures. He was in the middle of his own renovation, renovating his own house. Um, he had seen our vans show up on his job, at his house, his job site. Every time he was at Home Depot, he'd see our vans passing by looked into the real venture CRM and, and, and there my contact was. So he reached out and, um, and he loved it. He, 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 I think his time managing his own renovation, he really understood what we were trying to do. He had a lot of, uh, experience dealing with contractors over a year, year and a half of his own renovation and he got it. Like he got it. He saw, he saw where we think this is going. Um, and our visions align pretty, pretty quickly.
1: Well, that, that's a huge advantage to have a VC that's actually used the product firsthand before even kind of being... Um, Reached out by the, the founder of the, the company, because a lot of times a VC. will get pitched and the product will be you know some tech platform, SaaS product that they'll never touch or use in a million years. but here's a, here's a, a partner at, at, at Real Ventures that has actually used the product firsthand, and that's a huge advantage on your end to when, when you're in front of him explaining what you do. He sees the power of it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's enormous. And I, I, I always say the same thing, right? It's, it's, I think great companies are built on a solid idea really phenomenal execution, there's also a huge chunk of luck. <laughs> like you, you, you don't, like, I was very lucky to meet our CTO. I was very lucky that our lead investor had experience in the industry and, and really had some uh, first-hand knowledge of the problems we were trying to solve. Um, and I, think, I, 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 think, I think luck can't be discounted. Look on its own won't do anything. You still need to combine it with hard work, execution, and a solid idea, but it's definitely a component.
1: You were in California... You came back uh, that when you're getting this idea, you had maybe an opportunity to go back to California and establish a the company there when when you're about to launch this brand. What made you want to stay in Montreal and launch all of this here
0: um, i I have, I have an existing construction network in Montreal, so in terms of getting this launched, it was a little easier here um, I also understand Canadian construction a lot better. It's, again, it's different in California, it's different in Texas, it's different in certain parts of the U.S. So my knowledge of the industry here was a lot more sound and solving the problem here was just an, an easier challenge for, for us to face. What? How often do you go back to Silicon Valley or go to San
1: Francisco for 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 business reasons and how important is that for a startup
0: here in Montreal to have that relation with, with the West Coast? It depends on the business, I think. Um, when we look at our business, ninety percent of our market is in the U.S. So, in terms of in terms of our total addressable market, ten percent is in Canada ninety percent is in the U.S. So, it's important for us to have a strong foothold down there. It's important for us to bring on um, to bring on a U.S. investor. So, I'm usually down there once a month. My travel schedule is pretty hectic because we're we're we're, uh, we're such spread we're so spread out geographically. Um, but for me, at this stage of the company, it's tremendously important. be constantly cultivating those relationships and and managing and maintaining those relationships so when when we start our series a process we've got a lot of friendlies already out there that are receptive to what we're doing you're planting the seeds already and when when, uh, we planted the seeds right after we closed our seed round right like it's i'm always thinking about the next round right always
1: So you mentioned Montreal was a great place for you to, to launch your company because there's been a lot of community support here. Uh, you've been to a lot of shows, events, uh, things going on, meetups in Montreal for, for startup events. What are some of the difficulties of being a startup in, in Montreal at the same
0: time? Attracting talent is definitely, is definitely an issue in Montreal. Um, the, the, the talent pool isn't as deep here as it would be in Toronto, definitely not. Austin or, or, or SF or New York so it means when we're, when we're hiring we've really got to have a solid story to tell and that's, and that's part of the thing being a startup it's not just you're, you're not just building your business for your, for your customers, you're building it so it's attractive to customers, it's attractive to investors and it's attractive to potential recruits um, and, and, and potential talent you want to bring on when we, even, so we engage with a PR company and the PR company promotes us to those three, those three areas we're making sure we're promoting our service to to our users. We're making sure we're promoting to to potential investors, but the company still needs to be attractive enough to to for people to want to join us. I mean, as a CEO, for me, it's a huge part of my job is making sure that I can attract and and retain the, the best talent. And we've done, I mean, as a company, we've done a phenomenal job of that so far. I mean, we've hired um, our leadership team. We've got ex McKinsey, ex Intuit, ex eBay. Look, we've put together just a phenomenal team so far and, and, and we're going to continue Pretty to do resumes, that.
1: Pretty good resumes, yeah. Just the other side of that is, uh, sure, it's, it's tough attracting talent, maybe because the pool of talent isn't as, as wide, but on the other hand, you don't have to compete in Silicon Valley with the likes of Google, Facebook, uh, all the big tech players
0: there. So We, just... we still have that. I, a couple of months ago, at a product meetup at Notman House, um, we were looking for talent and two of the bigger companies in Montreal stood up on stage, and both said they were hiring 50 and 40 engineers, respectively. So it's hard to stand up as a, as a, at the time of seed stage startup and say, hey, we're hiring two engineers, we're hiring four engineers. You, just, you get lost in the noise. So the same with everything else, you, you've just got to be a little bit more nimble in your, uh, in your talent acquisition strategy. Um, but there's a solve for it.
1: Right what are what are some of the practices you use to attract talent given um, what you said earlier about having competition from bigger tech players is it is it always kind of does it have to do with the culture that you build at the company the office space the perks that you offer you know employee um, ownership plans for and salary and things like that ha, what kind of package do you try to build which one do you put more emphasis
0: on it's a combination of of, of all of that stuff I think. I think the one that we put the most emphasis on is, is, is culture. One of our founders is actually chief culture officer. It's something that is tremendously important to us as a company. We've gone from four people to fifty-five people in eighteen months, um, and growing. and And, and we'll be will be a hundred people before the end of the year. Growing that fast, we need to have a culture management system in place. So it's it's hugely important to us that we're like right from day one we set out to to build and shape the culture of the company. And what is that culture like? It's very, it's very inclusive. I mean, we, we give a lot of the standard perks that tech, tech companies will give. We've got unlimited vacation, we, there's always a full fridge in the office, dog friendly, we've got running clubs, we've got social clubs. I mean, very important to get that stuff underway immediately. One of the things that, that we always do, we, we manage to sell people on the story. like it's, it's an exciting time at Renault Run. The growth is exciting, the possibilities are exciting we we're, we're. I'm a huge believer in promoting from from within, um, and we've already had a lot of people that are that. I think one of the things that people struggle to see when they first start a startup or start working in a startup is their path to promotion. And um, we try and lay that out fairly clearly for people when they when they come in. For me, hiring from within and promoting from within is something that's really important. And um, as the company grows, we encourage our our team to grow on 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 every level. And I think. The right people for a startup—they get excited about having the ability to shape the future of a startup. The the teams that we have working in our offices—they're actively building this huge company, and we we we're, we've we've built a, a a hugely efficient, operationally sound business in in eighteen months, which is outside the startup it's outside the startup world it's impossible right. but all of our employees have the opportunity to be a huge part of that and to shape the company
1: right so if if i were to come back 5 years from now and and tell you that Rental run is a massive success what does that future look like to you
0: i think a big thing that we're trying to do is because this company was born from a problem that i'd experienced over and over again I'm, I'm i'm quite passionate about the construction industry and helping contractors and saving them time is really where the idea came from. Um, As we move forward for the next four or five years, especially in North America, we're going to see a a huge labor shortage. Um, There's not as many people coming into the industry, there's not as many people coming into the trades. So building out our system and building out our platform to really help contractors manage their construction projects in terms of supply chain procurement, that's, that's really what we're aiming to do. To solve that entire part of the process is uh, is, is definitely a big need for us.
1: Eamon O'Rourke, co-founder and CEO of Rental Run. To listen to more stories from local startup founders, visit montrealstartups.ca/podcast. Available on all your streaming platforms. If you have questions or comments about our show, we would love to hear from you. Email us at info@montrealstartups.ca. At